All right, we are in the section talking about being filled with the Spirit. So take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And if you even notice on the bulletin that we have there, it's still going to be the same cover because this whole section is about being filled with the Spirit. Even though this summer, most of the weeks we're going to be talking about marriage, falls under the category of being filled with the Spirit. This passage says, be filled with the Spirit by or with, it's, I think it's both of those things, by speaking, by singing and making, by thanksgiving, and by submitting. These words express what it looks like when someone is filled with the Spirit. Often with different examples we see in the world people say well this is what it's like to be filled with the spirit i just like saying well this is what scripture says what it looks like to be filled with the spirit by speaking by singing and making by thanking and submitting you can't just fill yourself with the spirit it's interesting grammatically here it a great grammatically translation would be allow yourselves to be filled to be controlled by the spirit And one of the means of being filled by the Spirit is submitting. This self-denial, this humble service, this life characterized by a mutual Christ-like submission. Submit. And this last way is set apart from others by the additional lengthy section on marriage. And that's what we're going to get into. This is not a new section, but an example of what submission looks like. Submit serves as a word to focus on the roles within the household. We'll we'll even look at this here where it's wives and husbands, children and parents in the chapter 6 there, slaves and masters. So for the next weeks, we'll be looking at a spirit-infused marriage. Because again, this is not just a series on marriage. It falls under being filled with the Spirit. How to have the Spirit infused in your marriage. And then each week, we're going to look at a few aspects. We're going to look at the cultural crisis that we have today in our world in its understanding of marriage. It's devastating, isn't it? The way culture understands marriage. And just know this, it's crept into our mindset also. Then we're going to look at the biblical understanding. We'll look at this passage. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to work backwards through the passage through these weeks. Then we're going to look at the effects of sin. And then we're going to give you some tools for marriage. And then a marriage example. Each week I'm going to have a couple come up. We are very blessed to have in our congregation many that have been married longer than I've been alive. And we want to hear their their stories of how marriage isn't this perfect little thing and we're not going to have the perfect marriages up here, but how, how do they maintain that? People my age and younger, we need to hear these great stories. And I want to say this in the beginning. I'll probably say this every week. This section right here in Scripture is beneficial for all people in all stages in this room. If you're married, this is for you. If you are single, this is for you. 
If you are on the edge of contemplating divorce, this is for you. If you've gone through a divorce and you're remarried and you just wonder, oh, where is redemption? This is for you. If you're a kid, oh, guess what? All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. And this is for you. Why? Not because this is about marriage, people. Why is this important? Because this passage points us to the Gospel. That's why this is for everyone in this room. This marriage, as we see here, is a reflection of the Gospel and one of the greatest examples of the Gospel. Love within a marriage must look like the cross. So those of you who are married, get ready. This is going to be tough for all of us. It will transform our understanding. It will help us love. So really, this series is about the Gospel first, marriage second. Because marriage is a reflection of the Gospel. So if your marriage is on the rocks, and you feel like you just want to throw the towel in, know that there's hope in Christ and in the Gospel. If your marriage is bland, and you've lost that lovely feeling, don't worry, I won't sing the song, and you just feel like, oh, I'm just getting by, know that there's hope in Christ and in the Gospel. If your marriage has been broken by sin, either yours or your spouse's, or if there's been unfaithfulness, know that there's hope in Christ and in the Gospel. Amen? And if your marriage is full of selfishness and you have pursued your own desires and your own happiness, know that there's hope in Christ and the Gospel. And if you're single and you're wondering, will this ever happen? First know that there's hope. Christ and the Gospel. And if your marriage is rock solid and you're living it and your things are great, know that there's hope in Christ and the Gospel. So let's pray. Amen? Lord, I surrender to You. And Lord, I'm glad that I'm tired and weary. It's a good reminder I need dependence on the Spirit every time I share the Word of God. And may we, as this passage calls us to, yield to the Spirit. Be full of the Spirit. And we ask that our lives and hearts would be in the place right now of the influencing power of the Spirit. We ask that we would be transformed by the beauty of the Gospel message. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's hear this passage, this section here. Ephesians chapter 5. Again, it says, Be filled with the Spirit by singing, by speaking, by making songs, by thanking. And then this section here, it falls right under. Be filled with the Spirit by submitting to one another out of 
reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, people have never hated their own bodies, but they feed and care for them, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of His body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. We have a cultural crisis today in the world in the understanding of marriage. In fact, there's been a survey out where 40% of Americans today believe that marriage will be obsolete someday. There's not a need for marriage. And today we have many marriage failures all around us. Not only in divorce, most people say, well, this marriage failed because of the divorce. There can be two people who are still together and the marriage is failing when it's devoid and empty of love. There's a crisis out there. Marriages have never been so under fire. My father-in-law in his commentary on Ephesians says this, Marriages have never been more under fire and Satan is working overtime to disrupt the Christian family. There's never been a time when the family was more important in our age of rugged individualism and a sense of narcissistic entitlement that drives people, the sacrificial love and servant heart of the Christian family are essential. Without these safeguards, our way of life would run the risk of going the way of the Roman Empire into selfish oblivion. Serious problems today in the world. More than half the people live together before they get married. We're going to address that today. They want to say, well, let's see if we're compatible before we make the big plunge. That's just the mindset today. And the cultural crisis comes down to this. Today, people treat marriage like a contract. Like an employee agreement. They get this agreement and they open it up and they kind of say, oh, this is what I think it is. Here's a sample contract for an employment. They look at it and they go, here's my working hours. Here's how much i got to put into it, but let me look at my benefits. Oh, here's how much I get paid. And if I don't get it paid enough, forget that job. I'm going to the next one. It's just a contract. And what kind of days do I get off? Hope I get the weekends off. And what kind of benefits do I get? And people treat marriage like a contract. They see what they have to put in. They just put the minimum amount. And then they go, well, what are my benefits? What do I get? And if they don't like it, they can just be like, I am done with that job. 
going to the next one. They see it as man's arrangement. That's what marriage is. An agreement. Thus, if man could make it, then man can change this agreement. And it can be set aside if need be. People are so quick today to look for an out of marriage. I remember the first couple I dealt with that was thinking about divorce. I was in Washington. And I was naive. I was a young pastor and I said, not under my watch will I let someone get divorced. When that happened, I was like, what? And the wife was so quick to find a way out. She made it sound so spiritual, but as soon as it was done, I realized she just wanted to get out of it. When tough times come, people just say, this is just a contract, so I'm getting out. Then when the feelings go away in a marriage, it can be ended just like that. People enter into marriage and relationships looking today for their own gratification. And when that's not met, the relationship is over. If you're not meeting my needs, I'm going to the next job. If my job doesn't meet the needs I have, if it doesn't have the benefits I want, the pay I want, the hours I want, I'm just going to the next job. I don't know if this is reflective of it, but more and more, and this is not trying to point fingers at you, but more and more people switch jobs every couple years. Where 50 years ago, you just had that career. You stuck with it, right? The same as being shown in marriages. Marriage used to be about us. Now it's about me. It's about what I can get. And our, our cultural crisis is that we are fooled into believing that individual freedom, self-satisfaction, and the individual's happiness is the highest of values. That's what we're taught in school. That's what you hear at the graduation commencement stuff. Go, climb the ladder of success. Be all you can be. Self-satisfaction, self-fulfillment. That's the highest of values. And we look, listen to this, we look to sex and romance to give us the satisfaction and purpose that we used to get in faith in God. You hear that cultural change? There's a crisis out there. We no longer submit to the truths and the beauty found in Scripture. So let's take a look at the section we're going to be doing with it. And again, I'm going to work backwards through this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. United. Become one. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Each year that passes, the biblical teachings of Scripture here challenge our society's cultural crisis for real love, for real freedom, and the path to happiness. Unlike the world's understanding, as marriage is a contract, God lays it out where God's blueprint for marriage is a covenant. 
It's a covenant. The Bible calls for an exclusive relationship between one man and one woman as they enter into a lifetime covenant. Not a contract that can just be, oh, I'm, I'm done with that. But a covenant, not a contract. The concept of covenant is vastly different than a contract agreement that might be set aside. In fact, the marriage license. When I get these, when I do a wedding, I always look through it, make sure I'm doing everything right, but it's interesting even as the state. This Wisconsin marriage certificate, it's, they treat it like it's a certificate, like, oh, it's just something. But the Bible speaks it as a covenant, not a certificate, but a covenant. We are social beings. We are sexual beings. And marriage is to be an exclusive relationship between one man and one woman as they enter into a covenant for life. Marriage is to be a covenant, not a contract. Marriage is God's idea. Not man's idea. It's of divine origin. It's not something we made up to make it the benefit of society. God's the one who designed this. Listen to the words I said yesterday at Gabe Vanetta and Carrie's wedding. Said this, We are gathered together in the presence of God and these people to join together this man and women together in holy marriage. Marriage is a special relationship appointed by God and is set apart in Scripture as honorable and conveys a wonderful union of Christ and His church and should not be entered into it lightly, but with reverence and commitment before God and consideration of His great love. God's design for marriage is that it would be a holy covenant, not a human contract. A covenant is this agreement. And I love when we do vows. Every time I do the vows, I make sure, listen, this is the way I do it, and I want to do it this way. Now, often, they'll say, well, let's do the different things. That's fine, but I always make sure we do two sets of vows. The I do part, where they say their stuff, will you, Gabe, take care to be, you know, all this stuff. I do. He's not saying that to her. He's not saying that to me. He's saying that to God. This vow is to God. Then there's the part... I gave, take you, carry, to be my wife, for richer, for poor, for hunting through fishing. I didn't add that part. That's to her. This covenant is before God and before the people. This is not just any agreement. It's before God. And the reason I'm still married today because of God's grace and because of my lovely wife is because primarily I'm in a covenant before God. Not a contract, I'll just sign here and we'll be married to see how it works. Here's the contrast. A contract, a consumer relationship, you do what's best for you in the marriage. You do whatever you do, it depends on the feelings. And you better meet my needs, babe. Basically it says, what's in it for me? In fact, I'll say this about people who say, well, we need to live together to make sure we're compatible. Then we'll know we're ready for marriage. Maybe we're not ready for marriage, so we've got to live together. Honestly, if you put off marriage and say, oh, we just got to live together first, I'm going to say this. You're basically saying, I don't 
love you enough to cut off all my options. I don't love you enough to give myself completely to you. So I'm just going to live with you. If it doesn't work, then I haven't closed off all my options. Where marriage says, I'm taking the rest of the world, her forever. That's the contract. People who live together daily have to prove their value and make sure the chemistry is still there or it's over. Where marriage says, even if the chemistry is not there, we are together because of the covenant we made before God. Marriage involves this covenantal agreement to God and to your spouse to meet their needs of companionship on every level. Social, sexual, spiritual, for the rest of your life. And that covenant binds you together even when the chemistry may not be there. In reality, the covenant helps make true chemistry last where a contract will not do that. The covenant before God allows true chemistry to foster and grow through the ups and downs where a contract, you're out of the relationship. The covenant is a lifetime commitment and we need to follow His blueprint for marriage. He's the designer. He designed it. And He knew exactly what we need for marriages to survive. So God's blueprint for marriage is found, here we go, in the perfect marriage. I want to talk about the perfect marriage. When I was a boy, my parents struggled. They struggled through a lot of stuff. When I was 13, they got divorced. And I always, even before that, my eye was thinking, I need to find the perfect marriage. It's not in my parents, because they were just, it was messed up. So I always looked to my friends. Looked to Will, looked to Mike. Their parents were together. They had great marriages. I was like, i got to find the perfect marriage. I want to model that in my life. So ladies and gentlemen, let's look at the perfect marriage. You ready? Take a look again at Scripture. Verse 32. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Christ and the church. The greatest marriage story, the perfect marriage, is that of Jesus and His bride. You get that? The church. He is the model. And that is the perfect marriage. God has pursued us. Even though we were in sin, God has initiated. God demonstrated His love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the model of the perfect marriage. And the Old Testament is filled with examples of God's love for His unfaithful bride, His people. So many marriage stories, like Hosea. I encourage you to go home and read Hosea chapter 1, 2, and 3. The people have been so unfaithful. God made this covenant. They broke it, but He sustaining His love pursues them. It says, prophet, marry a prostitute. What? I'm going to show you that even though they've been unfaithful, you're going to be faithful to her. 
In fact, your first child's going to be called Lo-Ami. What kind of a Hebrew name is that? It means not my people. Can you imagine having that name? I'm not my people. But then in the end of chapter 2, he changes. You once were called not my people, but now you are my people. God pursues his people. And then as the Bible describes, there will be a wedding, a marriage of the Lamb. A feast that we're the bride. Celebrating the perfect marriage. This is the greatest love story. Listen to Isaiah 61. He has clothed me with garments of salvation. Arrayed me in a a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and a bride adorns herself with jewels, his love is profound. The perfect marriage, Christ in the church. God's great love for us. And here is the beauty of it. His love for you is profound. And He calls you beloved. One of the benefits that I think, one of the greatest things that I enjoy during every wedding I do as a minister, I can stand up there with the groom and the bride comes in and the mother stands up and everyone turns. You know what it's like? Everyone looks at the bride, but I get to look at the groom to see their face when the bride opens the doors, when he sees them. Yesterday, Gabe just started crying. I will never forget. It was a few months ago. I got the privilege of officiating a marriage to one of our dear friends, Alicia, and she's been a part of our family for so many years. And, and she opened, the doors were open, she walked in, everyone looked, and the groom fell to the ground and started weeping. God's love for you is so greater than that. Look at that cross, people. That's why the foundation of marriage is found in God's love. And here's the mystery. The new creation in Christ has come. There's union. The Christ and church unity. Unity is the great mystery. Mankind is fractured and splintered by sin. But God has come and brought us together as we saw in chapter 2. And the original creation is renewed and complete in Christ. And we are the bride of Christ. And marriage is a reflection of that. So here it is. Having a marriage that will last begins with Christ in the center of your life first. That Write that down. That's the key to it all. This love is not one you can achieve. It is one you must receive first. You can't achieve this kind of love You must receive it. You must own this story of the perfect marriage to make your marriage work at all. His love for you. And here's a line I say at many, many ceremonies. Marriage does not complete you. Christ does. Write that down. Marriage doesn't complete you. Christ does. Too many times people look to marriage going, oh, now I'm complete. I found my soulmate and all this stuff. No, Christ completes you. If you are unsure of your value and purpose and try to find that in marriage, you will fail. You must not look to your spouse to fulfill these areas that only God can. Christ completes you.
That's so important. If you look to your spouse in marriage, you're demanding the impossibility. Listen to this. Ethics professor from Duke says this, destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and family are the primary institutions of personal fulfillment necessary for us to become whole and happy. Only Christ can do that, right? So here it is. Be first complete in Christ by turning to and surrendering your life to His great love, people. Be content in Christ before you see contentment in another person. One of the greatest compliments I got when Amber and I were dating was this. We were in a, we were in a truck together. We were just doing ministry with the homeless. Everyone nicknamed Amber Mother Teresa, which I'm like, oh, yes. And uh, we're driving, and her best friend said, she said, that's it. I'm done with you guys. Said, what? You guys are so fixated on Jesus. And Amber, you are so content in Christ. Now that Cody's here, it makes it all the better. Because you're not trying to leech onto him and find fulfillment in him. You two are working together and just, oh, just go get married. <laughs> find your completeness and contentment in Christ first. Then, we implement that love into our marriage for success. That's what it is about. And the effects of sin are still all around us. The main problem as we look at the cultural crisis is not marriage. The main problem is the sin's effect in marriage. And we underestimate the power of sin and we've allowed ourselves to think that marriage is about me and my fulfillment. Instead, we should be turning to Christ for that first. And the main enemy of any marriage is a sinful self-centeredness of our sinful hearts which make us blind to our selfish ways and our desires to do this without Jesus as the center. So here it is, people. Christ must be the center. Christ must be the center of your marriage. If you're single, know this. Find your completeness and contentment in Christ first to make an awesome marriage. If you're struggling in your marriage, get your heart back to Christ and the beauty of His love for you to help heal your marriage. Two tools I want to give you. We'll give different types of tools. Second to the Bible, this is probably the best book I've read on marriage. Tim Keller. I've got a picture up there, I believe. Get this book. It's great. It's When I read through most of it, I'm like, yep, yep, yep. He's a, he was taught in seminary, so... It's just a lot of it's just scripturally sounds. So I'm going, yep, that's exactly what this is about. And he he, he brings out some great points. I mean, get this book. Here's a thinner one, an easier read. And I was joking with uh, Michelle and Tony when I when I was reading. I was like, yeah, it was a good book, but really not what I'm needing because this is everything I believe and we believe, and it points to the gospel. So I was like, that was. Yeah. The cool thing is this is free. So all of you that got a smartphone, I think we got a little picture here. You can go right to the page in the center there, click, and it will download on your smart, smartphone for free. And there's little apps and questions. Get this book. So, if you're married and your spouse has a smartphone, get it for them. 
together do it. Don't do it secretly. Oh, he needs this. She needs this. Together go, let's go through this book together. Okay? So this is a great book. Hey, Luke, do you have that microphone? It's on the chair. Thank you. I want to end with having a couple come up. Ray and Val, could you come up? Ray, I want to thank you for being a pastor for many, many years. He's pastored many churches. He's a retired pastor. Many of you know him. Some of you still call him Pastor Ray because that's, he's been a pastor his whole life. Ray, I want to thank you for doing God's work and also thank you for your service here at Maranatha. Leading Bible studies and doing so much. Ray, I'm excited. And as you guys walk slow, I'll walk slow too. I now know what it feels like. Yes. Have a seat. I want to thank you for not just serving the Lord, but treating your marriage like a covenant, not a contract. You don't have the perfect marriage, none of us do. We already know that there's one perfect marriage. So I just have a few questions to ask you. What what has made your marriage last? The item that has made our marriage last is our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is center in our home. We go to him constantly, and our heart's desire is to serve him and to give to him totally and completely all that we are and all that we'd ever hope to be. Before we married, we both talked about the fact that neither of us could marry anyone that wasn't a Christian. We were young Christians. We, we hadn't been discipled, but we knew that we needed to be equally yoked. And because of a lot of tumultuous stuff in our backgrounds, we um, had agreed with one another that um, this was forever, and there was never a thought or an inkling that it would not ever be forever. So there was never a, in almost 53 years, there was never a thought that this would not be a covenant with us forever and ever. 53 years, what a blessing, huh? (laughs) So here's my next question. We're looking at Scripture and seeing the, the perfect marriage and just how we need to be complete in Christ first and Christ's love must be part of a marriage. How is knowing the Gospel vital to a marriage? The, uh, the thing that I think about is that God is the final authority and He gave us a commandment and that commandment was to love our wife as we loved Christ. And for me, that has been very easy. Just to know that he is Lord of all and that I can come to him. And if I mess up and I, I can come to him and say, Lord, please forgive me. And he forgives me. And the same thing applies in my marriage. If I mess up, which I never have, <laughs> 
I, I know that I can be forgiven, and my sense of humor is terrible. And if I can have just one more moment of bad humor, when I went to my father-in-law, Bob, and I asked him if I could marry his daughter, he said to me, you take her, you keep her. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what's kept us together. <laughs> what power my dad has had, huh? <laughs> You know, as you've been teaching from Ephesians, where Paul said that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and and how does that relate to the gospel? Um, the Gospel of John three sixteen. How did God love? God loved so much that He gave the very shed blood of His own Son. And then when I, I see in that same passage that a wife is to submit to and to respect her husband, I've had a lot of women ask me, you know, how, how about, you know, if you're well-educated and you're competent and all those things, and it's so hard to submit to someone else. And so I bring them to Philippians 2. I love that. Because it's talking about Jesus, we're told, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. And so, in the chain of command, God... Jesus, the Holy Spirit, we see that Jesus being all God submitted. And a Christian wife needs to submit to her godly husband. Is he always godly in his behavior and actions? Maybe not. But we are still called to submit and to follow, and God will honor and bless that. One final question here is, how do you keep Jesus the center of your marriage? We can get so easily distracted with my own gratification or my own desires, my own things. Children come along, they don't turn out the way you think, or just we get so distracted. How have you guys kept Jesus the center of your marriage? <clears throat> Perhaps the, the way of saying that is he is, he is all in all. There's no getting around it. He created us. He gave us life. He gave us children. And he, he uses us to be an example. And in order to do that, you have to walk in a fashion that's safe to follow. And the only safe thing to follow is Christ Jesus. And so I point my children to Christ Jesus. Follow him. Follow him. Follow him. Yeah, Val, how have you kept Jesus the center of your marriage? Um, in, in raising a big family and being first in military and then in ministry, we've been all over the country and out of the country and a busy life. And so uh, deliberately and in, intentionally, we have had to make sure we have time for Bible reading and prayer. Um, we couldn't always do it just together in the morning because of running to jobs, but especially 
um, when we were together more in ministering together and then of course in retirement we make sure that we're in the word and in prayer together every day um, and as you get um, more frail and and you need to press in closer to the lord you realize more and more that you know older people we recognize can get grumpy with one another you don't you don't do that right you don't feel good and you get grumpy with each other and we recognize that number one we don't do grumpy we don't do grumpy but we need to really press into the lord and remind each other that we we are a gift to one another and that he is our example we press close into him and that stopping is not an option and in in your marriage and in your relationship with the lord he has to be the center or, or it will fail you must lose yourself to find yourself lose yourself to christ what i want to have right now is everyone who is married maybe you're not with your spouse right now but if you're married could you stand right now I want Ray and Val just to pray over your marriages. Maybe you're not with your spouse, or just maybe, you know, they're just, they come to second service. My wife's still bringing the kids, so she's not here yet. But if you're married, just stand up. And if you guys could just pray over them, I would love that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that. You are a promise keeper. We thank you that when you make a covenant, it is unbreakable. And I pray that everyone in this room would be a promise keeper. God, I pray that you would bless the marriages that are strong, that you would continue to strengthen them. I pray that you would heal the marriages that are in trouble and that folks would realize that they need to love one another as you have loved us and that they will press into you recognizing that all the self-helps are not going to do it, but that they need to press into you and then press into one another. So bring healing. Remind people that love is not an option, Lord that love is a command it's not a feeling it's a command that we're told to love one another and so i pray lord that everyone in this room will learn to accept love from you and to dispense it to those round about them in every relationship that we're in in jesus name amen thank you you can pray here go ahead our precious Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to share your love and your compassion with your people this morning. Lord, we thank you that you provide for us a mate, someone to share our lives with, someone to give our lives to. Lord, you are gracious, merciful, and kind. Father, we pray that you be glorified, that you be exalted, and that you be lifted up on high. And in all things, Father, we want to give you thanks in Jesus' precious holy name. And God's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you, sir. We're going to have one last song. My challenge to you is this. 
Cast yourself upon Christ. If you're single, married, a widow, divorced, remarried, cast yourself upon the beauty of the perfect marriage found in Christ.